<laughs> hey, good morning uh, or good afternoon or whatever time of day you're watching or listening to this, everybody. It's The Deed Show with Adam G. Fleming, Aaron M. Fleming, Justin Fight, and our guest today is Michael Camarillo. So Aaron, tell people a little bit about your books. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about our books and then we'll get into the interview. Sure, I'm holding up uh, Kingmaker, my very first novel. I've got a sequel on the way, getting close. We're doing polishing with, uh, with a new editor. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm excited about that. I hope to have that out in a couple of months. Uh, Kingmaker is available on Amazon and BookBub and all of the places where you can buy books. Um, it's a fantasy adventure and uh, it's adventuresome and fantastical and I think a lot of fun. Great. I'm going to talk a little bit about today about the Stetson Jeff adventures um, because this is something that I wrote initially with Justin Fike. Yeah. I'll probably be carrying the, re the rest of the series by myself, but the first three books are out now. And we're actually thinking about putting them on Kindle Vela. So if you're watching this and you're into Kindle Vela, watch for that very coming very soon. And um, we've got some really cool artwork by Mark, Mark Daniels to go with that. And um, which makes Stetson Jeff look absolutely as hilarious as he really is. Um, <laughs> Stetson Jeff is a Texan who travels the world in search of justice and a good piece of steak. And uh, I'm currently working on the audiobook recording for number four, um, which hasn't been released yet. And then uh, working on books five and six in the near future. Justin, tell us a little bit about your Far Shore series. Yeah, I write the, uh, the Far Shore Chronicles. I have six books in that series published currently. And I'm working right now on writing the final three all in one go so that I can just rapid release them to finish out the, the story arc. Uh, it's a fantasy adventure series, kind of in the mold of like the really great 90s fantasy, like Ari Salvatore and Mercedes Lackey in that style, uh, all about a sassy thief from an old world that destroyed its magic centuries ago, who is sentenced to the new, uh, the new world that uh, is populated by all the kind of myth and magical creatures and craziness that everybody thought was just legend. Uh, and she kind of has to think fast and move faster to stay alive and, uh, you know, save the world essentially. So it's a good time. A lot of fun stories. So Michael Camarillo, you are now in Acapulco, uh, Mexico on your, your own travels and Aaron and Justin and I have all, all traveled a lot. And so we're excited to hear both about your books and a little bit about your travel. If you want to share about that too. But let's, this is, this show is about books. So let's start there. Aaron, you said uh, you were, you were checking out Michael's uh, Facebook page this morning. So I wonder if you have a question to open us up. Yeah, Michael, your Facebook page is great. And I want to direct anybody that's watching. It's uh, michaelcamarillobooks.com. Have I got that right? Yes, you did. Yeah. So they can learn more about you and who you are and what you're about and what you're writing. Um, why don't you tell us in your words uh, about, do you just have one book out at this point? Yes, one fiction book. Uh, I have one nonfiction book out as well. Nice. Okay, just just freestyle. Tell us uh, about what your fiction book is about. Okay, yeah, I'm a newbie with this uh, this world council here with all your uh, veterans. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, uh, yeah, so I, I was not a writer by trade or dream or anything. It just kind of happened. Um, 
I always loved writing, but I never intended to become a published author. Uh, I kind of just came about. Um, my nonfiction book that I wrote is a kind of travel guide because I run a travel business for family travel as well that we'll talk about later, um, I'm sure. But yeah, that actually beat my fiction book to the punch uh, because I was working on starting this business at the same time my editor was working on my fiction novel. Um, so that one came out first, which was not intended, uh, but that one published in uh, September of 2021, I believe. Mm. And then my fiction novel, Keeper 829, came out December 31st of 2021. Um, so the fiction novel is my passion project. That's really, I mean, I'm passionate about travel, but this is what got me into writing. Um, Keeper 829 is a sci-fi dystopian kind of thriller. Um, it, it takes, uh, it kind of reshapes, it's one of those that reshapes history. Um, it reshapes, you know, our conception of reality. And it really asks some big questions on purpose and meaning. Um, it's nice. the first book in a series called the keeper program and that's gonna be a four book series book two is with editor right now and will be out uh later in the fall uh late fall and then book three is in progress right now and i'm hoping to have three and four written by the end of the year nice it's a good pace tell us a little bit about your your process and how how on earth are you finding the time to write that much and and uh feel free to throw in i always like to ask authors um well you're obviously a traveler but what is what is the most exotic or strange place that you have ever sat down whether with a notepad or a laptop or whatever what what is the weirdest place you've ever written hmm. I don't know. I think, um, let me see. I wrote, so I had a notebook with me when I was in the Black Forest in Germany and I was writing, I was jotting down notes. So I didn't write out like full chapters, but I was jotting down ideas. Um, I did, <laughs> so I actually outlined my entire book too when I was in the airport going to, I think, Portland. Uh, so I was sitting there, my kids were, my baby, I have a 19-month-old and my nine-year-old, right? And mm -hmm. my nine-year-old nine is a big reader, so she was sitting there reading. She was occupied. My 19-month finally got tired and started falling asleep, uh, and we had about 30 minutes before our flight. So I was like, this is on my head. I'm going to type it out. So I typed it all out in a note on my iPhone, super long, went through the entire thing, like broke it down, like synopsis style, all the way through the whole story and then I sent it to my editor as I was told to turn off my phone on the airplane it's like check this out let me know what you think Boom. and I was gone <laughs> I was like I was off the grid <laughs> so that that was pretty fun um I think now you know that I'm traveling down to Mexico I'm sure I'm gonna have some exotic experiences uh, I don't know if I'm gonna have time to write tonight but uh this would probably be you know one of the most interesting writing in Acapulco yeah, oh, that's that's a great story. And it kind of moves towards the, of course, we have to ask, are you a plotter or a pantser? And it sounds <laughs> am, like maybe you're a, a plotter. So I am a little bit of both. So I've had this, uh, I used to be a very deliberate planner um, in everything. I was, I was diagnosed with anxiety and OCD. So I've always been someone who's been extremely regimented in everything I do. Um, but I went through a transformative experience personally, and I was trying to grow and, you know, change my outlook on life. 
And I tried to become a little more laissez-faire with, you know, just planning in general. Um, so with my writing, the stories are not plotted. <laughs> like in, in your, you know, the way you say you do plotting, you know, if you go look it up and this is how you're supposed to plot a book. No, that's not how I do it. Um, but I do deliberately plan like research. So mm -hmm. my book, my Keeper 829, um, I'm a history buff and I intended to write historical fiction, not sci-fi. The sci-fi component literally just came out by chance. Um, so I do a lot of research in terms of the world building and making sure all my facts are accurate and everything. But in terms of where the characters go and where the story arc goes, it is really just created itself. So with book two, I had a, the funny thing is book two, that whole plot that I created, I had this wonderful idea and it went out the window as soon as I got to <laughs> chapter two. So as soon as I got to chapter two, it was just like, boom. And I look back at it when I finally finished and put, you know, the end. And I was like, wow, okay, this is not what I intended in any way, shape or form. So I don't know. I think I'm a bit of both. Yeah. Sometimes you need to do an outline so that your brain gets permission to go do something different. It's like you need to outline something so that you can ping in a different direction. I, I think, I don't know how yeah. that works, but. That's what I found. I, I found that that really helps me just like yeah. getting my ideas out on a note or something. And then I start writing yeah. and I kind of forget what I do. <laughs> Having finished your first, well, published your first book, finished the second one. Were, were there any aspects of the writing process, like beginning to end that came as a surprise for you compared to what you thought it would be like going in or what you expected going in? Um, not so much. So I don't know. I was very, uh, when I was writing my first book, I was, you know, doing a lot of the Google research, like how many words per paragraph, how many mm. words per chapter. And, you know, I was, I was obsessing about word count. Um, once I got it to my editor and she, so my first draft was nine, around 95,000 words. She told me to cut approximately 31,000. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I'm just, are you serious? And apparently I was one of those, since I was, you know, kind of growing out of this deliberate planning, you know, self of mine, um, I was very expositional. So sure. I wrote, I, she was like, you were so vivid. People were like, that's awesome. I can see the world, but no one's going to want to read four chapters about, you know, the <laughs> architecture. Um, so yeah, I had to, I had to really cut that out. Um, but ultimately then I rewrote and, you know, my, my first book ended around 73,000. So, I mean, it, it was kind of hit or miss, you know, I lost some, gained some. Sure. Um, that was a big, going through that kind of helped me learn that, you know, the word count isn't really what, especially in self-publishing world, isn't really what matters. Um, right. It's a story. So with book two, I, pretty much do that, do that out, you know, do that out the window. I didn't really think about word count. I just wrote, I wrote where I thought a chapter ended. I ended it and I kept going. Um, I actually made a change too, since I'm a new author and, you know, just coming out, I'm trying different things. So my first book is written in past tense. My second book is in present tense. Oh, cool. First book is chapters that are a little longer, kind of around 3,000 to 5,000 words. First, second book, those chapters are much shorter. So mm. with that present tense, they're like around 2000, some are a little less. So it's yeah. very quick Keeps getting it going. So, yeah. Yeah. I've heard it, I've heard it said that uh, 
that you learn to write a novel by writing your first novel. And it sounds like that's the case for you, um, as I think it is for all of us, really. Um, but I'm curious when your editor said, nobody's going to want to read four chapters of whatever. How did it feel? Like, how did that hit you? So she had already ripped off the Band-Aid on our very first <laughs> interaction. So that was nothing. So let me tell you that story. So my editor... My editor is amazing. Uh, Rebecca Robinson, I have to drop her name always. She's doing great things. She's a new, she was just coming out of grad school. I found her on a Facebook group offering, you know, free services for, um, you know, trying to get her foot in the door, right? Yeah. Um, of course, she's built up now and she has her own publishing, you know, she's, so it's not free. I'm not putting her out there that she's offering <laughs> free anymore. Right, right. But at the time, um, you know, we helped each other. We had this reciprocal relationship where she was editing and I was giving her business advice because I'm more, you know, uh, what, what's it, versed in the, uh, in the business world, right? So Like, for example, her. don't do this for free ever again. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. She was trying to do so much for me and I'm like, girl, no, you are going to kill yourself. Like, this is not, okay. she was like, I will rewrite a whole chapter for you. I'm like, no, no, but uh, no. So the very first interaction though, I hadn't even talked to her. I had talked to her via email and we had set up a zoom call and the day she said like, Hey, a week before, if you want to send me, you know, your prologue and your draft, you know, first, first couple chapters, I'll look at it and shoot, you know, right. So this was my first advice to her. It was like, do not send feedback until you talk to someone and you get that, you know, interpersonal relationship and kind of understand these people. Because first thing she sends me was, are you sure you want to write fiction? And I'm like, <laughs> what? So it was like three years I just spent working on this project. And I'm like, are you sure you want to write fiction? Like, what are you talking about? I'm freaking out. I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, I, I'm losing my mind and come to find out she's from the UK. She, you know, was young and, you know, it was a communication kind of breakdown. And she was like, no, I was trying to tell you that the way you wrote in that expositional sense and how detailed you were, she said it was reminiscent of Chomsky. And it made her think that I was trying to write a political discourse because my book does have a lot of, uh, I talk about contentious issues. I talk about sociopolitical issues, geopolitical political issues, stuff like that. Um, so she was like, no, I was thinking maybe your passion is to write some sort of political discourse like Chomsky. And I was like, okay, well, that makes me feel better. <laughs> I thought you were saying that I, I am terrible. Like, I, I was like, that is not a way to approach your new client. Like I hadn't paid you yet. I would be like, nope, deuces i'm out i'm not paying you for crap like like <laughs> mo most authors that i've met you know are very passionate and those those works are personal so it's like you're gonna lose clients if you approach them that way so you need to talk to them first and then express yourself because now i understand um so yeah when she actually told me you know you need to cut all those words it was just like ah whatever i, I got used to her i knew what she meant and you know we built that relationship so it wasn't too much of a big deal yeah well, and I think this this whole story, it's a fantastic story and it highlights a couple of things for authors who are just starting out. If you're watching this and you haven't gotten to the end of your first draft or you're, you're just thinking about it, um, you do have to have some thick skin and you need to find an editor who will give you uh, hard news. Yeah. You know, if you really want it to be good, you have to have a second perspective. Um and so, and I'm always encouraging people to get editing, but you know, everybody's like, oh, I'm tight on money or whatever. There's lots of excuses, 
But if you want it done well, you've got to do something like what you've been doing, Michael. And But you also mentioned in that, you know, you went to your wife, you know, like, what's going on? And I'm curious about the support that your wife has given you through the process of writing a couple of books. Tell us about That's your wife. Yeah, she, she's amazing. She's my best friend. She's my partner in everything. Uh, we actually started our business together. We, so we are constantly together. We homeschool our daughter. Um, so we're, we're always working together. We're not that story, you know, where I'm trying to get away from my wife or we need our <laughs> space. We're like constantly with each other, always working together. Um, so in terms of the book, funny thing, I wrote my first 10 chapters of book one, Keep Ready to Nine, um, by hand. And I read literally every single word to her. And that's what I'm talking about with the whole OCD and compulsiveness. I literally was counting. I wrote it in hand and then I counted each word by hand. Oh, and at oh, the end of each paragraph, I had in parentheses number by each paragraph. And then I added yeah. them up and had it had a line at the end of the chapter and all that. So it was crazy. Not doing that anymore. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I read every single chapter, every single word, every single draft to her. She was there throughout the entirety of it. Um, she, you know, helped me out with the edit. She was there whenever my editor, you know, told me that she was like, hey, relax, calm down, everything's okay. You need to, she was the one to tell me, you know, just wait until that Zoom call, maybe you misunderstood. Um, so she's really my rock um, when I'm kind of up in the, up in the clouds. Um, the funny thing is that like after that, the experience was so exhausting for her because she was like, I want to read the second, she hasn't read the final draft. Yeah. Because she's like, I already, she was like, yeah, she, she's in grad school. We have two kids. She hasn't had time. Um, and I'm like, well, I really want you to read it, blah, blah, blah. So I started on book two and I was like, are you going to help me with this one? So our deal was, she was like, okay, if you want, cause she's very intelligent. She's very smart, great writer. So I want her feedback. It's like one of an alpha reader, you know, like giving me, Hey, this sucks to exist. So she was like, if you want me to give you that, you cannot read me every single chapter throughout the whole process. So she helps me with the outlining and getting my ideas. I, she's my sounding board. I tell her, you know, these ideas. Um, but in terms of reading it to her mm. in the process, she told me, no, you have to stop. <laughs> um, and then I was so excited when I wrote the prologue for, for book two. I was like, you need to know where it's going. She's like, no, we made an agreement. You can't read it. I was like, no, please, please, please. So finally she was like, okay. I had to sign a paper that said I can only read prologue of book two for the entire series. That's so, so funny. That's all I read to her and she was waiting for me to finish the book. So now that I finished it, um, she's reviewing it along with the editor. Um, so she's actually kind of, you know, involved in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm no longer allowed to read it out loud to her as the process is going. Um, that's that's but yeah, great. she was super helpful. Uh, she did help me with, we were on our trip from Divine. So I'm in the San Antonio area. That's where I home base out of. Um, so we were driving up to Dallas. It's about a four or five hour drive. Um, and that is where we plotted the entire series. So plotted by that, I mean, coming up with ideas yeah. and figuring out yeah. generally where it's going. Um, yeah. But she helped me with that. So her and I have this we kind of fell in love with these conversations of metaphysical and philosophical themes. That's mm. what we love to talk about. Um, so that's where the books really kind of, you know, they're, they're themed generally in that way. Um, so her and I were just having this conversation like, okay, this is where the book went. Where are we going? Where should I go? Where do I want it to end? Um, and now I have, you know, the titles, I have the general ideas of every single book. I know exactly where 
Well, I say I know exactly where it's going, but at least right now, current me knows exactly where the book's going to, the whole series is going to end. We'll see once I get through uh, book four. But. Right. Yeah, that's great. I think some of comparisons to Chomsky, but not to Leo Tolstoy, because you have such a great relationship with your wife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> some of what you're saying that I really, I think is really does a great job of illustrating something that is one of those, like you, you even if you think you understand it, you kind of have to learn it through experience in writing, which is to really understand the drafting process <laughs> and to think of especially early writing as drafting versus finished. I had a really unrealistic expectation when I first started writing of, of how much more finished whatever my draft would be. Um, and it took me a while to get used to that idea that like the first thing you're producing is your rough sketch. It's getting everything down. The faster you can get that idea in place. And I think it's great that you're that you had that instinct to get, not just get outside perspective, because sometimes I think you, authors, new authors especially, can be too vulnerable to looking, to looking for outside perspective from the wrong sources that isn't helpful. Like just getting like a friend or a person to read it and looking at it, looking for validation of your writing can be really confusing or disorienting. But going to people who either are professionals or who really under, who are, who are big readers of your type of writing like your ideal audience type readers and getting more qualified feedback uh, early on, I think is really, really good. I will say, I hope you saved those chapters though, the, 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 the ones that you cut or that you have a previous draft. One of the things that I've kind of surprisingly found is that those like deleted scenes or unused pieces from drafts can make really great material for your fan base as you start building like a newsletter or a mailing list. And I ended up, cause I have enough like with different Farshar books, I have a big enough compilation of like unused scenes or unused written sections. I put together just a little like behind the scenes, de like deleted scenes chat book kind of thing. And a lot of readers have actually really liked it. Like I thought it, I was like, no one's ever going to want to read this because the whole point is these are the things I didn't include. Um, but it actually, it was like, it was like easy, an easy extra thing. And I kind of have it in like the third email of my onboarding sequence of like, if you've read the books and you're interested in X, you can download this for free. And it's just, a, it's an easy little way to give something extra. I've been surprised at how much fans of the series and the characters start looking for more things. Um, and that's, that was something that I found was kind of surprised me, but was cool. So save them if you have them and, you know, you can oftentimes do, you can do some surprising things with your like cut words. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think I have a whole document that says cut content. Somewhere yeah, on my that's computer. great. <laughs> don't, don't lose that. It's okay. um, Justin, that's one of the ways that you're very much like Tolkien. Um... <laughs> yeah. I mean, one, one of, of many, one of the, many, ways. one of the many one ways, the long but, list of ways he and I are but, so similar. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He had all kinds of, I mean, what the Silmarillion is basically cut material, right? Right. It, I, as far as I know, he never intended it for public consumption, but, you know, the, the hardcore fan base is really into that. So, um, Michael, you, you talk about how philosophical your work is, and um, I noticed that right away. As soon as I got on your on your website, that's that's very clear that this isn't some light, fluffy, feel good novel. You you come right out and say this is dystopian fiction. And I was, uh, I just, I got really curious to hear more about, um, and people could find this out from your webpage, but I'd love to hear you go deeper into what is, what is important about dystopian um, 
storytelling, um, as, as maybe especially at this at this moment in history, um, there's a lot of dystopian stuff out there. Um, the Hunger Games, of course, you know, wildly popular, aimed at a young adult audience. Um, the movies and all that stuff. The Matrix, uh, some of some of the biggest blockbusters of our time. Um, but sometimes I, I think there's there's a lot of dystopian stuff actually going on in the world. Um, what what is important to you about telling dystopian stories um, when it's you know in some ways it's not fiction? Uh, so yeah, just if you would reflect on that for us for a little bit, I'd love yeah, that. Sure. Yeah, sure. So that it ties in directly with everything I do, including my travel business. Um, and I know Adam is, you know, well-versed in that. We've had a couple conversations, um, you know, on my other channels. Uh, dystopian for me, it's really about, you know, kind of given this cautionary tale of where we're going um, if we don't make the right choices. Uh, so I, I tried to make it, I really, I blurred that line between fiction and reality in my stories. Um, there were every single, so one of my favorite authors is uh, the late Anne Rice. And I love how she was able to scene set and really create, you know, this feeling that you're actually there and it was so vivid. Um, and that was something I wanted to do. So I incorporated that at the um, advice of my wife, incorporated my travel into writing my story. So Keeper 829, every single location I have been, every single place that I talk about, I can recollect exactly where I was, exactly what I was feeling, who I was with, you know, like I, I went into that much personal detail of describing these places to make them as realistic as possible. And some of my readers, some of my feedback have given, said that that level of description has really made it seem like they're starting to question, you know, they're like, you're saying, they're talking about these concepts, like this is actually happening, you know? And now I, people who have been to say, you know, Florence that I mentioned in the book, they're like, I can see exactly where you are. Now I'm thinking about, you know, this, this concept of control and security forces around and different things that are happening. And, you know, they're seeing the reality of our world in some of my writing. And that was the intent um, to really, you know, push it, some of the choices we're making as a you know social community could lead us down this path and i think that's why there's such a acceptance and kind of uh enthusiasm about dystopian across you know the the world because there there's you know unrest there's social unrest there's people that aren't happy there's people that are seeing you know what's going on uh geopolitically and sociopolitically speaking um i, I don't know i kind of went off i, I where, where else were you going with the question? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy to have you just go off and, and okay. reflect yeah. on your life and the world and what's going on in your brain and how you see things. And so, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it was, it was really something that one person asked me once was because I, my travel business is our mission is to bridge cultures through travel, education, and service. Everything we do is a social enterprise. We're trying to help people travel with purpose and volunteer where they go, find educational opportunities, immerse themselves wherever they go and make a difference. Um, and then someone asked me, if you're thinking this way for your business, how are you writing about you know, this uh, you know, autocratic, collapsed, apocalyptic world? It's like, everything is horrible. 
And I was like, you know, I, I don't know. And I had to think about it a while. And it came to me when I was actually Ubering in San Antonio. I was, I do that as one of my side, side gigs. Um, I was like, you know what? My books are kind of a cautionary tale. I think my books are a marketing aspect for my travel business. My books are a cautionary tale that if you don't travel the way I'm telling you to travel and interact with the world the way I'm trying to, you know, get you to, the book is where we're going. That is where we're going to end up. So I don't know. That was just my fun way of integrating the two, two different things, you know, that I'm trying to make the world a better place. Um, but then I'm writing about if we don't make the right choices, this is where we could go. And this is where we're heading. Um, one of my beta readers, actually, um, I don't know how political you are and I don't want to get too political, but um, I'm very liberal on that side of the uh, spectrum. And I literally name dropped uh, the most recent U.S. president in my first draft and uh, in, in not so good terms. And I created this world that upon reelection, things would have things would have gotten gotten worse. Um, but one of my beta readers is like had such a visceral reaction just to the name. She was like. I, no, I, I can't. You, you need to. You need to not be so specific. And I was like, but you had the same views as I do. Like you didn't like. So you, I, I didn't understand why she had that reaction because I was like, I'm saying it. I'm saying that he, he, it's not a good thing, you know, like to, for what happened. Um, and she was like, yeah, but just the name in general just completely shut me off. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I I tried to toe that line, like I said, you know, between reality and fiction. So. It seems like that name is going to have to come up in historical fiction as it gets written going forward from now. Um, but I can also see using some kind of pseudonym for that person. Um, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that, I mean, we still use, we talk about, you know, I mean, there's lots of historical fiction written around Nazi Germany, for example, and yeah, exactly. Hitler and, and Rommel and all those guys are named in those. Maybe it's just a case of like too soon. <laughs> too soon, yeah. yeah. It's a little I, too soon. Um, I, I believe it was John Le Carre's last novel. I don't I don't know if you read a lot of espionage kind of stuff, but Le Carre is kind of one of the one of the big names. And he very freely drops that name um in the same sentence with quite a few obscene words. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's some big name big name authors who are going there um and so i i think it's i think it's fair game and and i think we should say on on the deed show uh you're you're free to uh talk about kind of whatever you want to talk about and politics is certainly not out of bounds because oh be careful what you wish for <laughs> <laughs> well uh, we'll just put a disclaimer at the beginning of the video <laughs> The more people hate our show, the more viral it will go. So that's true. true. So true. say that's something true. really inflammatory. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let me just throw out there. So I did a uh, is not for right because everyone's like, oh, who you need to you know market toward who the book's for, who you want to talk to. Um, are you still getting me? It says my internet connection is unstable. froze for a second. So just start the sentence over. Okay. Yeah. So people have told me, you know, you know, you want to write and then you want to figure out who your target audience is, you know, who the book is for, blah, blah, blah. 
I decided to go the other route and I made this video about who this book is not for. And it's freaking hilarious. It was my most viewed video. And I'm literally like, if you are hyper, uh, hyper liberal, if you're hyper conservative, if you're extremely religious, if you're all these different things, like if you have these views, you probably won't like my book. And the only one that I said, I was like, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you might like my book. So <laughs> it's just basically like, hey, remember my book is fiction, but you know, I intentionally bring out major social issues that are gonna piss people off. Like my keepers um, actually created religion. So the, the whole philosophical concept of my writing is because I've gone through a long existential journey throughout my life. Uh, I was raised Catholic, I'm currently agnostic. Um, I've gone through a huge journey in that regard. And my wife has as well. And we've had these conversations. Um, so I wrote the book in a way that there, there people will say it's uh, blasphemous. I mean, I, I have, you know, my villain is named her, you know, human name is Mary. And you will find that she directly, she, her, I don't want to give away too much, but basically she was integral in creating the image of the Virgin Mary and her tendencies are very Christian and uh, kind of militant Christian. Um, and there, there's a whole bunch of different things that I talk about. So I really hit hard on religion. Um, so if you're devout, you know, you're, you might be like, you might not like it. Um, and then I talk, you know, I, I literally, so I didn't say the name, but I did say 42nd president. So, I mean, it's not hard. Um, so hyper-Republicans are probably gonna be pissed off. Um, but there, there's a lot that I talk about Mussolini. I talk about Hitler. I talk about, you know, um, I, you know, so many different things. So, yeah. 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 Well, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of two ways that people take stuff. I mean, one is just the, um, fast paced fun stories, which I think I, I see more in like Aaron's Kingmaker and, uh, Justin's far shorter stuff. And then there's, I tend to write a little bit more like that, where there's some, uh, some other, other, maybe satire or maybe some other things going on. And I think both are valid. I mean, I think there's, it's fine for us to have entertainment. It's also for, uh, good for us as writers to challenge readers. Um, and like you say, you may not like it. Does that mean you shouldn't read it? Not necessarily. I mean, we ought to read things that challenge us from time to time. And so we hope- Yeah, that one of my most recent uh, reviews dropped, they dropped uh, A Brave New World in 1984 in the review. And I was like, that is golden. That is what yeah. I was hoping for. <laughs> I'm so happy. I made it. Good comparison. <laughs> Good comparisons. You're getting- Yeah. Getting, um, Compared to everybody except for Leo Tolstoy. So tell us a little bit. We just got a few minutes left. Tell us a little bit about your travel business and in terms of like maybe if people want to do mindful travel or they want to um, connect with you around that. What are some things uh, that you would have to say about that or, or where can they go at least? Yeah, yeah. So uh, everything with the book stuff is Michael Camarillo books. Novel Excursion Travel is the name of my travel business. So novel like a book novel. I intended to 
I, I created the business with the full intent of planning travel based around books. Mm. That grew, and luckily I used the word novel because it has, you know, different connotations. So now it's <laughs> more like new instead of the book. Um, but I did meet another author who wants to now do, uh, he wants to build packages around books. So I, we might be partnering with him uh, to do that. But uh, in terms of what we do, so we provide, um, basically we provide travel advice for families and family. We we define that liberally. So it's not necessarily with kids. A lot of our content is with kids because we travel with our kids and we do what's called world schooling, which is where they, you know, learn from, you know, immersive experiences and interacting with different cultures. Um, but we, we plan travel for families, whatever that family is that you make it. Um, and we help you find volunteer opportunities and educational opportunities around the world. Um, the reason for that is we believe the best way to uh, change the world is by gaining awareness, which you get through education, and then giving back, uh, being willing to, you know, give your time, money, whatever it is, uh, back to the people that you are interacting with and immersing with, because we're all one human society. Um, and we make an impact on the world, you know, whether it's bad or good, whatever you know no matter what we're doing it's unintentional so we have that choice we can make that choice to make that impact good um, and that's what we're trying to help people do um, you can find us at novelexcursion.com uh, i have a website i have facebook i have all the social medias i have a youtube channel for both uh, where i'm doing interviews kind of like this uh, for my book it's called story unfolding novel excursion i just changed the name to the caring traveler and Adam is number one, first interview. I have a bunch of content on there that's not interviews, but I just started the interview component where I'm trying to bring out stories of inspirational travelers who have done stuff that, you know, make a difference in the world and, you know, mindful travel. Um, and Adam's uh, episode actually just dropped about an hour and a half ago. So that, that's up there now. Um, but you can find that at The Caring Traveler on YouTube. Awesome. Guys, any last questions for Michael? Yeah, maybe maybe the most important one. Um, Michael, where where can readers find your books? Yeah, so michaelcamriobooks.com. Uh, it is available on there. Uh, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, uh, yeah, pretty much anywhere you can find your books. Uh, so I have it globally distributed. Um, I am offering, if you come find me on, uh, sign up for my newsletter, and then come over and like my Facebook page, you'll find the links uh, where I'm offering the first four chapters free. So the prologue in chapter one through three, uh, those are all available for a free preview right now. Um, you can contact me directly uh, and I can send it to you, but the links are on my page and on my group. I also have a Facebook group called Story Unfolding. Um, so yeah. Fantastic. Right. This, this has been awesome, Michael. Um, I'd speaking for the whole group i'd love to have you back when your when your second book drops and uh it's been a really fun conversation super interesting i i hope that this goes viral so everybody in the world can hear about you but, I'd be, no, I, real quick i'd be remiss if i didn't uh I didn't mention so you can get signed copies of my book at rebelscumranch.com nice so that is one of my partners she was my beta reader and she does this awesome stuff where she does like super nerdy uh merchandise like cool. Doctor Who's and Dungeons and Dragons and Harry Potter and all that so she was like she was my beta reader and she has her own business 
and she wanted to partner with me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to provide you signed copies. So she's the only one that you can get signed copies from. So that's fun. Head over there. Okay. Yeah. So you don't have to mess with it while you're traveling. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. That's a it's great Reb idea. Rebel Scum Ranch. Rebel Scum Ranch. Like Rebel Scum, you know, Star Wars. Absolutely. <laughs> ranch like the dressing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now I'm thinking of Darth Vader eating a, you know, ranch. A nice salad. ranch salad. Yeah. <laughs> Pop the visor for a second. <laughs> he just like levitates the lettuce. <laughs> All right. It's been great to have you. Thanks for thanks for your time, Michael. This uh Aaron M. Fleming, author of Kingmaker, Adam G. Fleming, author of a whole bunch of different stuff. The Stetson Jeff Tales, uh, the Satchel Pong Chronicles, and we've got Justin Fike, author of the Far Shore Chronicles. Um, is now is now a recurring guest. Yeah. Um, so, or I've got this chair that. locked down. Or he might be a co-host. <laughs> We're not sure. Yeah. So thanks to everybody that, that joined us. Um, please take a look at our books. Take a look at our new friend Michael's books. Um, and tell us what you're reading. Um, tell us what's interesting to you, uh, whether you love fantasy or, or nonfiction or whatever. Drop us a note. And, tell us uh, who you got. think we should interview. Yeah, yeah, tell us who you think we should that. interview or, or ask us a question about our books. Um, just keep the conversation going. Thanks for being with us. See you, everybody.